This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. title uh, for this one, and it's called uh, Soggy Cereal. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you like soggy cereal, but uh, it's an interesting phenomenon that most people don't. Uh, And, you know, it's the same substance, right? It's the same chemical makeup, but when it's crisp, it's delightful, and when it's soggy, it's not. Uh, And yet, why is that, that something that has the potential to be so good can become so bad so quick? And the, what I want to build on is the fact that in the spiritual life, there is a window of time where there's a crispness to the call of obedience. And that window closes, just like in the cereal window. I don't know how many of you have had it where you pour the milk and then like your mom says, honey, could you do such and such? It's like, uh-oh, we got a problem here because I have to eat my cereal now. And there's a truth there. It's, it's principle of life, and, and cereal just happens to enunciate it in a fun way, and soggy cereal just sounds like a fun message too. So even if you know, I didn't have a reason to give a message called soggy cereal, I want to create one just because it's a great title, right? So, and I get a, I get a you know, graphic like that. That's sort of fun. <laughs> nice crisp flakes there. Introducing soggy cereal Christianity. Many of us have struggled, and I would say COVID has done a very unique thing in the last two years to create more of a sogginess to our Christianity. And that is that it is harder to be instant, I would say, in the midst of the time period we're in, Uh, We're far more aware of the political ramifications, the social ramifications of various things. When we first started wearing masks, it really impaired our communication with people. And so some of us were right at that place. I remember there was a group of fathers and sons. We were gathering together, and we were ready to literally go into this culture and take it boldly for Christ. And right at this time is when the COVID nonsense hit, and it threw us off our game where we knew what we needed to do, but we didn't quite know how to do it. And it was sort of like, well, now that's illegal. We're actually not even supposed to do this. We're not even supposed to be out of our house. How do we do this? And it sort of threw us off that crispness of the flakes, if you will. And it's very easy, and I think many of us have felt that, where we feel a little soggy as opposed to crisp. And that's part of what I want to address today. Instant obedience versus delayed obedience. There is an idea of, you know, if you were to take instant and delayed away, and we just said obedience, most people think that if you eventually get to it, it's still called obedience. And I would say, that's still good. I'm glad you still got to it. But obedience is actually found in a period of time, too. There is a this idea of instant obedience is the idea of obedience. Delayed obedience is actually not obedience. It is choosing your time and your way when it feels pleasant to you. That is a idea. I don't know if I could call it an American idea because I think it's a human idea, but it's very, very common in our culture. 
that we would say, well, on my time, and we make ourselves, in a sense, central player in the idea of obedience instead of the Spirit of God. When in actuality, the Spirit of God, when he gives us an assignment, is also giving us the time. And that's when he's giving us the assignment. It's like, all right, bowl of cereal, cereal pour, pour, poured, boy, that was a hard one to say, and milk poured on top of it, boom, the clock starts. You don't want that to get soggy. And that's where instant obedience comes in. That's why I think it's a good picture for us to mentally understand is that once the snap, crackle, and pop begin, that there is a grace to obey. That the grace to obey is present when you receive the commission of obedience. And that grace to obey isn't there you know, after the snap, crackle, and pop goes soggy. 2 Timothy 4.2, be instant in season, out of season. So there, now at Ellerslie, this is called always be ready. And I'm sure you've heard that. Uh, it's too bad it all, makes us all think of Dan McConaughey, you know, as we say that. He, I think he had about 10 t-shirts that all said always be ready on them. So we saw it all the time. And yet, what a great motto for life, always being ready. To do what? To act, to obey, to speak, to love, to serve, to rejoice. All the stuff that we know to do as believers, we actually need to be prepped and always ready to do them, as opposed to thinking theologically, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's, I agree that it's a good idea to leap for joy in those situations. Well, then why aren't you? Well, I agree that it's always good to share the gospel when a door opens and you can share it. Okay, well, then why aren't you? You know, we have our reasons, but the point is that we need to be ready. We need to be instant in season and out of season, instant with that spoon into the bowl of cereal and to our mouth and start chewing. It's time to act. This is when the, the, the flakes are crisp. The principle of cereal and sogginess. Uh, and so I actually researched uh, cereal and sogginess uh, to understand scientifically what is taking place. It was very unexciting. Uh, but basically, cereal gets soggy. Uh, <laughs> So I don't know that there's anything that is really worthwhile uh, mentioning that would be at all intriguing to any of you, but it is fascinating. Uh, it, there is a fascinating uh, thought. I don't know that any moms are going to like this, but sugar cereals uh, soften uh, slower because they have an extra layer that has to break through. The milk has to break through. So if you really want to have crisper cereal for a longer period of time, I guess sugar helps with that. I don't know that I really want to promote that to my kids either. Uh, but long and short, there's a window of time where active engagement with your cereal is important. And in life that exists, and I, for those of you that have gone through Ellerslie, this, some of this may sound familiar because I have certain things that I've observed in life where there are windows of opportunity that when you take advantage of them, it, like communication works, but if you don't take advantage of them quickly when the uh, flakes are crisp, you lose that opportunity. So here's a couple of them. So act while the flakes are crisp. I call it the elevator moment. The elevator opens and you walk in and there's someone on the elevator that's just sort of standing there, right? You know, they're from a different floor, a different level, and now you're joining them in this grand adventure of going, you know, up a floor or down a floor. If you don't speak right away to that person, it becomes awkward to speak after the window closes, okay? And I, I'm just giving, this is when the flakes are crisp. When you walk in, I'll give you some advice of what to do. 
Acknowledge them with your eyes, nod, say, hi there, how are you? And do something, right? Because you never know if that elevator is going to go and you get stuck. And now you're on that elevator with them for three hours, right? But if you didn't take advantage of that opening, now you're standing there awkwardly with these people for three hours because you did not take advantage of the crisp flakes. Okay, there is, it is a weird phenomenon, but social interaction has an open door. And when you engage in that open door, it actually makes it possible to speak to someone and to engage in them. And when you don't, it becomes extremely difficult to overcome that. It doesn't mean it's impossible. It's just strained. And if any of you have ever been in that situation where you're standing there next to someone and you realize you blew your window and the, sake, the flakes are starting to get soggy, it is an awkward thing to go, so, uh, so what brings you to this elevator today? You know, it's just, it's not that easy, right? Which is why I'm going to say, while the flakes are crisp, bite into them. Okay, my second illustration is the airplane gap. Okay, if any of you have been on an airplane, you sit down next to someone, there is a window of time. And by the way, the best way to do it is right when you're sitting down. Now, I agree, there, there are people that don't want to talk with you, and they already have their headphones on, and they're already busy doing something. Okay, I've dealt with this many times over in my life, but I still, I think about this every single time I sit down in a plane, because I know how awkward it is to be halfway through a plane, and then, I mean, there are openings. Like, for instance, when they're passing drinks, around and you, you hand them the drink, they go, thank you. You go, yeah, sure. So are you from around here? Then you like somehow snag them again. Uh, so it is, there, with an airplane, there are some bonus opportunities that can come, but you can't take them for granted, okay? And so when you first sit down, you want to engage. But that's the same with anything. What I've just described in the elevator and what I've described in the airplane is the same with life. There are moments in life where you encounter someone and in that first moment where the flakes are crisp, you have an opportunity to speak into their life in a way that you can't if you don't take advantage of that. And so that could be your banker, that could be your barista, it doesn't matter who it is, if you start by being self-absorbed and only thinking about you or your drink or your account, it's that much harder to reach into their life after the fact, as you get convicted halfway through, you know, after you've ordered your drink and you've been rude and thinking about yourself, now you're going to try and reach them. And that's just an inappropriate way of doing it. Your flakes have grown soggy. And that's what we want to go in a different direction with in our own souls, is we want to be instant in season and out of season. I've had seasons in my life where I am so supercharged to be thinking about lost people around me. And every single person matters. And I've had other seasons, and it's, it's always sad to acknowledge this, but I've had other seasons where I am so caught up in my world that after I get done talking with them, I realize I didn't even once consider their soul. And that's like a horrifying thing. I mean, I don't even like to even acknowledge it, let it even come out of my mouth. But the point is, that's because I've begun to grow soggy instead of allowing for that crispness of every situation. I have a fresh bowl of cereal right in front of me right now, and I need to take advantage. The obedience window. Stick your spoon in while the flakes are crisp. So this is something that over the years I've brought up. When I was going through my World War II series, I had a, 
There's a picture in the Middle East during World War II, during the, the desert battles, uh, and it's very intriguing in how it enunciates this because there were two generals that were, had two very different approaches. And this is a very crucial time in the war. And at the time, uh, the, the Axis powers, you know, the Hitler uh, powers and the, it, the Italian powers were winning. And it was is an important shift. And it all comes down to, in a sense, being instant in season and out of season. So I'll say the two styles in World War II, the responsive and the aggressive. So we have one general who, was, who had done a great job up to this point, and his name is General Alan Cunningham. I almost feel like he could be a picture of us uh, in this situation. Uh, however, he has a new philosophy that's beginning to creep into his thinking because he's fighting against a character named Rommel uh, in the Middle East, and Rommel is very aggressive and very good at what he does. And so Alan Cunningham is sort of like, we need to you know, just protect the territory we do have. And so he's, his, here's his philosophy. Let's not risk too much. Let's see what the Germans do. Let's hole up here and wait and see. You know how many Christians right now have this exact plan of attack when it comes to dealing with this lost and dying world? Well, let's see what happens. Like, let's see how the COVID thing sort of pans out. Let's see where the government ends up going. Let's see where the economy goes. Then we'll make our tactical maneuver. As a result, we're waiting. Our, our, our flakes are getting soggy this whole time, this is the season where the harvest is ripening. This is when the souls are hanging in the balance. This is when the church is needed. And yet we're pulling an Alan Cunningham. In fact, even as I give Alan Cunningham quotes, you guys are like, oh, amen, amen. I like this guy. He thinks very similarly to a North American Christian. Now, here's a different guy, and he has a pipe coming out of his mouth, and he looks very different than an Ellerslie uh, sort of person, doesn't he? His name is uh, General Neil Ritchie, and he approaches everything different than Alan Cunningham, and probably, I almost want to say it this way, different than we do. And yet, what I feel like we need is a little Ritchie in us. We need to get whatever this is, because here's his philosophy. We can't wait another minute. This is the moment. This is the hour. There is a window of opportunity here, and I, for one, don't want to miss it. And guess what? He was right. There was a window of opportunity. However, to do it meant to risk. And to risk, oh, you know, I don't know that I want to do that. I would rather risk having my flakes get soggy than actually jump in through that window and try and take on Rommel. Rommel's undefeated. I mean, we can't actually stop this guy. Richie's like, yes, we can, but we need to move now. So Auchinleck is the, the one who's over the, uh, the Middle Eastern theater for the, the British. And so he has to make a choice. Uh, he has to make a choice. I, ca I call this Auchinleck's moment, uh, November 23rd through 25th, 1941. He needs to choose between Cunningham and Ritchie. Cunningham is his close friend. And, so, and Cunningham's already in the position. And so to choose Ritchie means to go against his good buddy. And this is a big decision for Auchinleck. And yet for us... We have a comfort zone. There's a way that we are used to doing things. There's a way that we would prefer doing things. However, if it is going to lead us in more Cunningham direction like we have been going, I say even though it's been a good buddy throughout all of COVID and, you know, we've hung out with uh, Cunningham and, you know, we really like the guy. He's a nice guy, right? That we really need to make a choice for the guy with the pipe, uh, Richie. 
So the two very different men, the reticent and the ready. General Alan Cunningham, reticent to go, the man of a thousand excuses, reserved, cautious, and hesitant. I do not want that to be the description of my life. I do not want that to be the description of our church. I do not want that to be the description of the church. Does that sound like the church of Jesus Christ? Reticent to go. The man of a thousand excuses, reserved, cautious, and hesitant. There is something that God desires for us, but we have to be action-oriented. We have to be ready to go. We have to be ready to spend. We have to be ready to speak when that elevator door opens. It's like, it's opening, guys. Are you ready? But we don't know who's on the other side. It doesn't matter. They need Jesus. When you sit down, you don't know who you're going to sit next to in the plane. That's one of the fun things about getting on a plane. It's like, isn't that weird? You don't know exactly who's going to be there. And yet, whoever it is, you trust that it's your assignment. And so as a result, you get into a ready position before you get there, as opposed to halfway through when you're tired and you're dozing off, and you realize, eesh, I never did think about the person next to me. We have an opportunity. We don't know who's going to be behind the elevator doors. We don't know who's going to sit next to us at the, at the, on the plane. We don't know who's going to be the barista when we walk in. We don't know who's going to help us at the bank counter. However, we trust that God does, and if he would ready us, we are engaged and ready to give Jesus in every single situation. So here's the other man, General Neil Ritchie, ready to attack, ready to be sent, eager, desirous to be spent, bold, courageous, daring, and audacious. It's interesting between the two, and I can, I can sort of understand it. You see, in military, you have this resource, and you have men, you have tanks, you have guns, and Cunningham wants to, in a sense, hold on to it. It's like he just feels better knowing that he has his big barns full of resource. You know what Richie's entire mentality is? Why do we have this but to spend it? Let's spend the resource we have. What is the good of having all of these tanks if we're not going to use them? And of course, some of us are like, well, I guess that makes sense. But then if we lose them, we don't have them anymore. I know. But what's the good of them if we don't use them? And we just sit here and lose the battle slowly. You see, we all have time. We all have energy. We all have resource. We have one go at this thing. And this is when we have the time. We have the energy. I mean, after going through what I just went through with losing my physical energy, it's like, don't take energy lightly. When you have it, Use it. Pull a Richie. Expend yourself. Don't just say, well, you know, when I get more energy, when I get into more shape, you know, better shape, then I might spend a little more resource. So here's General Auchinleck. He's the one that has to make the decision. Eh, I guess that's sort of like you two. You know, I called you guys Cunningham, but Cunningham is a part of your life. And technically, even as I say this, you don't really like that part of your life. And I have a hunch we're all in agreement together that we're like, boo, Cunningham. And we want more Richie, but we're in the Auchinleck position where we need to choose. Are we going to allow the Spirit of God to growl inside of us and to push us forward into uncomfortable territory? Or are we going to excuse ourselves with a thousand excuses Cunningham style? And my guess is we're all sort of of the same ilk, which is why we're here. We want to live serious Christianity. We want to make an impact on this world. We don't want to twiddle our thumbs. But we have such a propensity to do it, and we justify each other. We watch each other go, well, they're not doing it, they're not doing it. And so we somehow excuse ourselves. 
As opposed to saying, we cannot remain this way. And this is Auchinleck's moment. And here's what he concludes. General Auchinleck concludes, I have reluctantly concluded that Cunningham, admirable as he has been up to date, has now begun to think defensively. And he's out. We cannot think defensively. Isn't that an interesting statement? You know that World War II is going to steer in a completely different direction for the British because of this decision by Auchinleck. And he's going to say, we cannot allow the infection of Cunningham's thinking to steer the course of this war. And as a result, Ritchie steps in and the course of the Middle East changes because they needed a man of action. They needed a man that was ready to roll up his sleeves and spend the resource that they've been given. We've been given the kingdom of heaven, the inheritance of Christ. We have been given all that we need for life and godliness. We have zero excuse right now. And by the way, we never run out of tanks in the kingdom of heaven. We never run out of any armament. We have unlimited resource, and yet we're still hoarding it, going, well, you know, I mean, this is when the flakes are crisp. God wants to pour a fresh bowl and say, we're going to do this again, okay? Let's start over. Let's dump that bowl out. We're going to do a fresh bowl, and I'm going to stick some fresh milk in it, okay? You ready for this? What does that mean? That means it's time to act. That means it's time to dig my spoon in. That means it's time to munch. That's right. Let's not come up with more excuses. Let's pull a Richie. Let's change our mode right now. So always be ready. So this idea is not just an Ellerslie idea. This is historic Christianity. This is the idea of girding your loins. You guys uh, remember those messages? I've, I've described in great detail girding your loins, you know, wrapped it, and I had all sorts of illustrations for you. I'm not going to do that for you today because I know that many of you can hearken back to some of those memories uh, in the past. But instead of having a long flowing dress, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to wrap it so that you are ready to engage, whether that's to wrestle or whether that's to run. And so as a principle of the scriptures, Jesus himself is going to say, gird your loins, which means ready yourself to act, to be instant. So right now, as he sets a fresh bowl in front of us and says, I want, to, I want us to do this different. I don't want us to go Cunningham style anymore. We need to shift what we're doing in the church right now. I want us to go Richie, okay? So what do we need to do? We need to gird our loins. If we're going to actually begin to move, we need to proactively in our soul engage in what we know to do. So there's a word that goes in the opposite direction, and the word is indolence. It's a fascinating word. You know what it actually translates to mean? Wanting to avoid action. Now, none of us would ever go out of our way to say that we are indolent or want to be indolent, and yet there is a weird craving that we have to be indolent. <laughs> We don't want to have to do anything. God, could you do it? Could you just save the world out there? I am tired. When in actuality, this is the opposite of the kingdom pattern. When the Spirit of God is working in us, we want to act. We do not crave this. You know, this very idea is very heavy duty in the Proverbs. Now, we don't usually translate it as indolence, but maybe you'll recognize it as we go through. Uh, Atzeel is what the word in the Hebrew is. Lazy, sluggish, indolent, 
always having a hundred excuses. So there's always a reason why you can't do something. It's like, oh, why can't you do that? Well, you know, I wish I could, but, you know, I have this problem, I have this. You see, when you are wired that way of why you can't go out and share the gospel with anyone, why you can't give away your resource, why you can't fast and pray, why you can't, you know, you you fill in the, the gap. Because there's so many things that many of us in here know, we know the framework of health. We know the framework of what we should be doing. Bowl of cereal, freshly poured, milk on top of it, spoon in hand. What are we supposed to do? I mean, it's pretty obvious. We're supposed to eat it, right? So why don't we? That's just a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of work to take that spoon, dig it in the bowl, and pull it all the way to your mouth and then chew it. I mean, come on. I mean, does God expect me to do all that? Ironically, there's a proverb on that exact point. So... Otsale. Here's another definition for otsale. Having the cereal in the bowl, the milk poured on top of it, and a spoon in hand, and yet letting the flakes go soggy? What? Say it isn't so. What is this? This is precisely what I want the Spirit of God to touch in our life. I don't want this to gain one more inch in our soul. Oh, I, have, I have another definition for otsale. Mr. Soggy Cereal Man. You do not want to be Mr. Soggy Cereal Man, also known as Cunningham, right? We do not want to be Mr. Soggy Cereal Man. So I have a whole bunch of scriptures that talk about Mr. Soggy Cereal Man. Proverbs 10, 26, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the soggy cereal man to those who send him. (laughs) All right, now that's the word in the Hebrew, atzel. So is the lazy man, so is the sluggard, so is the indolent man, so is the man with a hundred excuses to those that send him. So that means if, if you are a boss and you have the soggy cereal man working for you, there is nothing worse. It's like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Well, guess who's sending us? The Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, our captain. And he's sending us, and when he sends the soggy cereal guy, it's like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes of our God. Okay, I mean, that should be enough motivation right there because every one of us in here wants to please our Lord. And yet to be the soggy cereal guy is not a good thing uh, when it translates heavenward. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of a soggy cereal man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. So there is something that you are craving right now in your spiritual life. But to get it, you have to go after it. It's an interesting phenomenon that God has given us grip and we need to use it. It's sort of like this arm. God sets something out in front, and I'm like, well, God, can't you just stick that in my mouth? And he goes, no, you need to use what I gave you to reach out and grab it. He's the one that supplied it, but we still have a responsibility to engage with it, to gird our loins and to act. Proverbs 19.24, a soggy cereal man buries his hand in the bowl. That's an appropriate word and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. What a sad guy this is, right? Proverbs 20, verse 4. The soggy cereal man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the soggy cereal man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. The soggy cereal man says, There is a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. 
See, there's always a reason why the soggy cereal man can't act. And what I want you to allow the Spirit of God to do in you, I want it to be done in me, is I want all of these excuses to just be blown apart. You know, why can't I engage with the person in the elevator? Well, they may think funny thoughts about me. Uh, why can't I talk to the person sitting next to me uh, in, you know, on, on the airplane? Well, because they have their headphones on. We have a reason. What we need to do is not allow those reasons, those Cunningham reasons, to stop us from doing what we know to do right now. I have a fresh bowl of flakes in front of me, and they're crispy right now. I have milk in the bowl. That means the time is now. And God has given me a spoon. What do I do? I do what I know to do. He who knows what he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. But he who knows what he ought to do and does it, well, that's righteousness. That's just what we're supposed to do. Proverbs 26, 13 through 16. The soggy cereal man says there is a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the soggy cereal man on his bed. The soggy cereal man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. The soggy cereal man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Isn't that interesting that when you're a Cunningham, you have a tendency to think you're very smart too? It's just like, hey, I'm protecting the resources of Great Britain. Hey, you know, I, I'm not dumb enough to go against Rommel. I'm just going to die if I do that. And, you know, I'm not going to be the fool. I'm not just going to talk to someone when I walk into an elevator and, and they're going to laugh at me. You know, hey, I have, I have dignity. We have our reasons. And those reasons oftentimes cause us to think we're seven times wiser than everyone around us. When in actuality, Richie is the smart one here. We have resource. Let's spend it. We have an opportunity. We have an open door. I hear the snap, crackle, and pop in the cereal. Let's go for it right now. Grace for eating the flakes when the crunch is still in them. I feel like what we all need is a fresh reminder that this is God's business that we're talking about right here. You see, when you dig in your own pockets, you're like, Eric, I just feel so tired as you're giving this message today. <laughs> you ever had that? Yeah, uh, that's a very common thing. That's, I think, one of the works of the devil today is just to sort of convince us that we are past our prime, that we no longer have the oomph, that the church just isn't what it once was, that the people in this world don't want to hear it like they once did. And so as a result, you get sort of sluggish and tired instead of realizing this is our hour. And the Spirit of God is the one that wants to enable us to do it if we will take the step. Our job isn't to save the soul. Our job is to say yes. Our job is to agree with Richie. And sometimes when you're agreeing with Richie, it's a little scary because he has that pipe in his mouth and he has that one, you know, his, his eyebrows are pointed. He's like, let's do it. And, you know, you're like, well, what are you going to do, Richie? And that's like following the Spirit of God. It's like, well, Spirit of God, where, where are you going here? See, the Spirit of God is a lot more like Richie. And he is ready to act. And we're not totally convinced that action is what we want. And what we need to do in our own soul is agree with the Richie action. If that's a practical step, that's what we need to do. We need to say, Lord, I want the wisdom of Richie, and I want to agree with you right now that action is what I crave in my soul and in this body and in my Christian life, and I want no more excuses. 
I want to repent of my indolence. I want to repent of that which has been hindering me from acting as a Christian, and I want to begin to behave as I know to behave in the kingdom of heaven. So 2 Timothy 4.2, be instant in season and out of season. So when you get a command like that, you can oftentimes dig into your own pockets to get it done. And this is just classic, you know, humanity. It's just like, okay, so I need to always be ready. I need to be, I need to have my loins girt and, you know, that, that robe wrapped around and I'm ready to act, which is in part truth. However, you need to recognize that the secret to action in Christianity is the enabling power of God. That it is not you that actually carries out the Grand Commission. It is, but it's you yielded saying, God, I need your power. And when you turn to God and say, God, I need you to lift my Cunningham-like state up into a Richie action mode, you are yielding yourself, you are giving yourself, and he is more than happy to supply that grace unto action. But then he will test it, and he will press it forward even today. And he will give you opportunities, like an elevator will open, an airplane seats will you know, be filled, or you know, a barista counter will be across from you. Whatever it is that you then need to begin to take the small steps. You need to begin to dig that spoon into the cereal and eat those flakes while they're crisp. So here's our great secret, Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is how Christianity works. And it does not work in the strength of your own resolve and in the power of your own uh, right hand. Christianity functions in the power of God. The Holy Spirit, who is the one initiating these thoughts, is also the one that says, and I can do it in you. Are you open to that? Oh God, what, what does that mean if you do it? It means that he will give you the power to obey. He will give you the power to dig that spoon into the bowl. He will give the power to bring it to your, your mouth and to chew it. He will give you strength if you desire it, if you take it. So these are just thoughts that I had. I, I actually uh, grabbed these from a message a while ago. I don't know how long ago it was, but I was, I was looking at this list and I was saying, yep, it's funny how these same things are what I need to hear afresh today. So I want to be ready, just like I know you guys do. I want to be ready, and these are, you could call these extremes, but they're not really extremes. They're just more Richie-like attitudes. They're Richie-like leanings. I want to be ready if our God asks to wake up at 3 a.m. and pray like I've never prayed before. You see, I don't want to come up with a reason to go, well, I'm, you know, I, I haven't been feeling very well. I have, you know, some COVID after effects and you know, I don't really have a lot of strength right now. I need a lot more sleep. And so, yeah, God, maybe maybe someday uh, I might get back into the groove of being available to you to pray. No, no, no. No more cutting thinking. I want to go straight forward out of this message and say, Lord, this is your body. And you can do with it what you see fit. And I am not going to allow the parameters of physical weakness to define what you desire to do with me. 
I want to be available to you. And if you want me up at three to pray like I've never prayed before, then my answer is, yes, Lord. Even though I could have the Cunningham voice going, but Eric, your resource would be spent. I mean, you don't have a lot of strength right now. Hey, Cunningham voice, get out of here. Oh, how about this one? Cunningham voice, get thee behind me, Satan. See, you can you wield that line too. Okay, here's another one. To be ready, if our God asks to give up food for the day and fast. When you are feeling physically weak, that has a tendency to not be what you go towards. Let's just put it that way, right? But to literally say, okay, Lord, this body belongs to you. Fasting is a statement of dependence. That's what it is. It's saying, this physical body can't pull off in this natural realm what only God can pull off. So when I fast, I'm making that declaration. I'm saying this is insufficient, but I know that when I make this weak, deliberately weak, that God's provision will come through this body to change the world in which I live. So if God wants to make such a statement, I want to be a Richie, not a Cunningham. Richie Cunningham. Wasn't he happy days? Wasn't that Richie Cunningham? Boy, is that the first time I've noticed that? All right, let's go on here. Uh, to be ready, if our God asks to testify of Jesus Christ to a stranger at the local grocery store. In other words, I want to be in Richie mode and ready to testify instead of coming up with a thousand excuses. To be ready if our God asks to give away our entire savings account to someone he shows us. Well, I, uh, I don't like that one. And yet what that statement is saying is, I have resource, what's it for? It's for the kingdom of heaven. It's not for me. The reason he entrusted it to me is so that I have it to spend against Rommel. And right now I have tanks and I have guns, I have men, I have everything I need. And right now if this is what needs to be spent, then Lord, spend it. I want to be Richie and not Cunningham. To be ready to expect God to ask to ask God to ask and to diligently listen for God to ask us to do something that is not easy. I would like us to freshly lean in to just say, Lord, I'm ready to be asked to do hard things. I don't want to only approve of things that would be easy, things that would fill sort of that role of looking spiritual but be a lot more pleasant. I want to go where you want me to go. I want, you to, I want to do what you want me to do and even if that means harder things, I want to be your man. You can, if you're a girl, you can say your woman. I want to be available and ready to act now. Father, I pray that you would make us action men and women. And Lord, we acknowledge up front that we have a propensity right now towards indolence. It's in our culture, it's in the spirit of the age, it's just there. It's a, a dearth that is baked into the American culture. And Lord, we don't want it. We don't want to be touched by it. We don't want to excuse ourselves. We desire the real thing. We desire you to carry us forward unto action, unto uh, a readiness. We want to gird our loins even now as we are praying this prayer. And as we head into our day, Lord Jesus, we want to be aimed towards richy behavior and not coming up with excuses. Lord Jesus, apart from you, we can't do this. But you will give us power to obey and to act. And so that's what we look to right now, Lord Jesus. We ask that your Holy Spirit would work mightily in us and through us. It's in the precious name we pray. 
This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.